1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. <clears throat> Paul goes on now in his letter to the Thessalonian church and says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or the darkness, so let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk uh, at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, for, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Now, if you remember, the Thessalonians had been taught to be ready at any moment for Jesus' return for his bride. And then after he removed his bride, he'd bring a time of judgment on the earth known as the day of the Lord. Now, as we saw the last couple of weeks, the Thessalonian church was growing concerned about the timing of Jesus' return for his bride since many believers were dying and they worried that they might have missed his glorious appearing. So again, to catch you all up with where we've been and where we're at, the early church, and we've looked at this in more detail already, was taught to be ready for it in any moment return of Jesus. He's going to come and take his bride, go be with him, and then he was going to bring a time of judgment on the earth, also known as the day of the Lord, and we're going to show you some other terms that were also used later on tonight. <clears throat> but Paul had to remind them about a few things. He reminded them, number one, that the timing of the day of the Lord wasn't for them to concern themselves with, since it wasn't something they would experience, but it was for the lost, dark, Christ-rejecting world. Look at what he says again in verse 1. He said, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying peace and security, then sudden destruction will come on who? Them. And this is going to be important for later in our study. As labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. So in other words, there's a difference between them and us, is what he's saying. And it's not for you to know the times of the seasons. Does that sound familiar to anybody else? Go back with me to Acts chapter 1. <clears throat> In Acts chapter 1, we'll look at verses 6 through 11. Actually, we've got to go back to the verse 1 just to kind of lay some foundation so that verse 6 will make even more sense. In Acts chapter 1, verse 1, in, this first, in the first books, o, book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Stop for a second before we go into the next verse. <clears throat> Luke is writing to this individual, Theophilus. His first book that he's referencing is the Gospel of Luke. And he told, I already told you about all the things he did until he was taken up after his death. But he said, but before he was taken up, he appeared to his disciples for 40 days and he taught them about the kingdom of God. This is important because as you see now in verse 6, Right before he's taken up out of their sight, he actually, the disciples come and they say, after hearing him teach about the kingdom of God for 40 days, say, is it going to happen now? Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? In other words, that's very important because a lot of us in the church today are being taught that the kingdom of God is just a spiritual kingdom. And he's done with Israel and, and the church is the new Israel. And all. listen, if Jesus taught them about the coming kingdom of God for 40 days, and it was a spiritual kingdom and not a literal kingdom, they wouldn't have asked the question, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? 
They knew that there was going to be a time when he comes and sets up his kingdom on the earth in Jerusalem. So this is what Jesus says to them, though. He said to them in verse 7, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth, and to the ends of the earth. And when they, he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. So Jesus is there saying, are you going to set up the kingdom now? Is this the timing of when you're going to set up all this, fulfill all the promises to Israel and the rebuilding of the, the city and all this stuff? And he said, it's not for you to know the times of the seasons that the Father set by his own authority. Your responsibility is to be my witnesses. Remember I told you to wait in Jerusalem. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the innermost parts of the earth. And then they, he was ascended and the angel said, the same Jesus that you saw going to heaven is going to come in the same way. Listen closely. The timing of all this is not for us. Oh, there is a day that's coming, and there are some scriptures that we can see that show us that the day is getting closer as prophecy is lining up and the stage is being set for all the things that the Bible said are going to happen in the last days. And I think a lot that's going on right now in the Middle East is tying into that. You want to have some fun without trying to predict Go spend a little time reading Zephaniah chapter 2, and you'll look at names of cities that are being mentioned in the news and things that God would be doing and possibly is doing right now to set the stage for that day of the Lord, this time of judgment. But it's not for the church to know the times of the seasons. Why? Because the day of the Lord is going to come and catch them by surprise, not us. <clears throat> Go to James chapter 5. Look at verses 7 and 8. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until what? The coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. When the Bible talks about something being at hand, it means it's the next thing. Well, the next thing is not the day of the Lord. The next thing is the coming of the Lord for his church. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Peter said, This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved, and both of them I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires. They'll say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately look, overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by the means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of who? The ungodly. All right. So, again, there's going to be those who come say, well, where is, the, where is the coming of the Lord? Don't worry about the timing of his coming. We're to be patient about the coming and learn from the farmers. The farmers, we saw it back in James chapter 5, he said, learn from the farmers. They waited till the early rains and the later rains. Those of you who know anything about farming, your responsibility as a farmer is to plant and to water, and you have no control over the timing of the harvest. In the same way, we're to do what God's asked us to do. We have a season that we're responsible to be obedient in, the time of the church age, the time of the Gentiles. <clears throat> we plant, we water, and we leave the results to God and the timing of the harvest to Him. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. We'd already seen how they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. We've seen in this passage that we've begun to look into tonight, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 
that it's not for us to know the times of the seasons of the Father set by his own authority. I, mean, I don't need to talk to you about that because you already know that day of the Lord, that time of judgment is going to be for them, not for us. God's not destined us for wrath, but to experience our salvation. And what are we waiting for? What is at hand? The coming of the Lord Jesus. That's what we're to be watching for. The problem is, is we all want to know when. And Jesus has been saying to us for 2,000 years, leave that alone. Just be ready and be patient. I have reasons why it's taken as long as it has. And if you're honest with yourself, you're glad that I waited for you to be saved. The reason I'm seeming slow is because I'm not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And in the same way, I want to encourage you as we start to look, at to, look into this day of the Lord, because we're going to do a study of what is this day of the Lord. I want you first to understand that the church age is a, a dispensation, if you will, or a time period that God's doing something right now through the Gentiles for the world and to make Israel jealous. But when this time period has come to an end, we're going to be taken to go be with him. And then the next thing on the calendar after that, the day of the Lord is going to happen. And it's going to be a time of judgment. And interestingly enough, as we've seen, it's going to come on the world as a surprise. When they're thinking everything's peace and safety. Now, if you've ever read the Bible enough to know what the prophecies say about the very end of the tribulation period, I don't think it's going to be a surprise to them when Jesus comes back to set up his kingdom. You know why? Because at the very end, the nations have already gathered to fight against Jesus. They won't be surprised at his coming. They're looking for his coming, and they're going to fight him, or try to. So the day of the Lord must be a time period that incorporates not just the end of the tribulation period, but maybe the beginning. And we are not to worry about that, because the Bible teaches over and over that we'll be taken prior to that. But again, I don't want to jump ahead of myself. Leave the timing of the end time events to God. Just be ready for when he comes for his church. Number two, the second thing he says to them this is this, is that the day of the Lord would even catch the unbelieving world by surprise. Second Peter, go get Second Peter in chapter 3, look at verse 10. <clears throat> Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10. Peter said this, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. The day of the Lord is going to come like a thief. That sounds familiar. Go back to 1 Thessalonians 5, our passage again for tonight. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Go to Matthew 24. Look at verses 36 through 51. Now, I want you to notice closely some things that Jesus says in each of these passages. I'm going to take you to one in, Luke, in Matthew and then another one in Luke. Matthew 24, verses 36 through 51. <clears throat> but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the son of man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill and one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and not let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Now, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give him their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he'll set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master's delayed, and he begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him in an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites in that place. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Now, I'm not going to explain this just yet. Let's go to Luke, and I'll put the two together. Excuse me, Luke chapter 17, verses 26 through 30. Luke 17, starting in verse 26. Jesus says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Now look closely at these two illustrations he gives. <clears throat> he gives Noah and the flood and Lot and the fire and sulfur and on Sodom and Gomorrah. Did you notice that in both of those illustrations, the righteous were taken away and then the judgment came? That's how it's going to be as well. But when the righteous are taken away, the judgment is going to come on a world that says, it's all right. Everything's fine. Everything's good. Peace and security. And again, I don't know how it's all going to play out. Second Thessalonians 2, when we get there in our study, you'll see the Bible tells that God's going to send a strong delusion so that people believe what's false. They're going to come up with whatever excuses they may have as to why these people have disappeared, but they're going to be okay with it. Interestingly enough, if you do a little research, you'll find that a lot of the false religions all have some type of rapture event in their eschatology. Did you know that? The New Agers believe that the people that have bad DNA are just going to disappear. Uh, others have alien invasions and weird things, but they have in some way in each of them some type of a mass disappearance of a bunch of people. We know what really is going to go on is Jesus is going to come and take his bride and take them to be with him, and then the time of judgment is coming on the earth. But at the same time, God said... You're not to worry about the time because it's going to catch them by a surprise. And just like it was in the days of Noah, just like it was in the days of Lot, I'm going to take care of mine, and then the judgment's going to come. Now, it'll probably do us some good here to stop and do a little study on the term, the day of the Lord. Now, to be honest with you, I could take weeks and weeks and weeks teaching you on the day of the Lord, and I don't want to kill you with it. But <clears throat> the, day of the term, the day of the Lord, actually has many facets to it. First off, the day of the Lord is used in the Bible in many different ways. Sometimes it's used in the Old Testament in reference to a soon coming judgment. But if also, if you look closely, you'll also notice a future reference in those terms as well. In other words, I'm going to show you a passage, just one, I could show you more, which talks about a soon coming judgment that the prophets are warning about, and it's called the day of the Lord. But also in that warning of a soon coming judgment, you'll notice there's a little hint at to a future activity as well. Go with me to Ezekiel chapter 30. <clears throat> Ezekiel chapter 30, look at verses 1 through 19. In this prophecy about the fact that God is going to deal with Egypt, in Ezekiel 31 through 19, it says, The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy and say, thus says the Lord God, wail, alas, for the day is near, the day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. A sword shall come upon Egypt, and anguish shall be in Cush, and when the slain fall in Egypt. And her wealth is carried away, and her foundations are torn down. Cush, and Put, and Lud, and all Arabia, and Libya, and all the people of the land that is in league shall fall with them by the sword. Thus says the Lord, those who support Egypt shall fall, and her proud might shall come down from Migdal to Syene. And they shall fall within her by the sword, declares the Lord. And they shall be desolated in the midst of desolated countries, and their cities shall be in the midst of cities that are laid waste. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I have set fire to Egypt and all her helpers are broken. On that day, messengers shall go out from me in ships to terrify the unsuspecting people of Cush. And anguish shall come upon them on the day of Egypt's doom. For behold, it comes. Thus says the Lord God, I'll put an end to the wealth of Egypt by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So do you see how this is a, a soon to be prophecy of a judgment coming on Egypt? And he even tells who he's going to use, Nebuchadnezzar. It's also called the day of the Lord. He and his people with him, the most ruthless of nations, shall be brought in to destroy the land. 
and they shall draw their swords against Egypt and fill the land with slain, and I'll dry up the Nile, and I'll sell the land into the hand of evildoers. I'll bring desolation upon the land and everything in it by the hand of foreigners. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Thus says the Lord God, I'll destroy the idols and put an end to the images in Memphis. There shall no longer be a prince from the land of Egypt, so I will put fear in the land of Egypt. I'll make Pathros a desolation, and I'll set fire to Zoan, and will execute judgment on, the the on Thebes, and I'll pour out my wrath on Pelusium, and the stronghold of Egypt, and cut off the multitude of Thebes, and I'll set fire to Egypt. Pelusium shall be in great agony. Thebes shall be breached, and Memphis shall face enemies by day. The young men of On and Pibeseth shall fall by the sword, and the women shall go into captivity. At Tephanes, the day shall be dark when I break there the yoke bars of Egypt, and her proud might shall come to an, to an end in her. She, she shall be covered by a cloud, and her daughter shall go up into captivity. Thus I'll execute judgments on Egypt. They will know, then they'll know that I am the Lord. So here we see that there's a coming warning of judgment on Egypt, and God even tells whom he's going to use, Nebuchadnezzar, to do that. But go back to verses 1, 2, and, one and, two and 3 in, in Ezekiel 30 again. The word that came to me, son of man, prophesy and say, thus says the Lord God, Wail, alas for the day, the day is near, the day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for who? The nations. Isn't that interesting? God's giving us a little hint here that the day of the Lord is more than just a soon coming judgment that he's going to bring exercise in, in his own power, bring to be in his own timing and his own power and exercise with his own authority. But it's also going to be a little bit of a hint to a future time when all the nations will learn that he's the Lord. So keep that in mind. So if you do a study, and again, we don't have time, I'm going to show you some more. If we, if we do a study of the term day of the Lord, you'll see some of it is referring to a soon coming judgment that the prophets were talking about. But in all of them, I've seen also a hint to a future, and some are so clear that they're future that you can't deny the day of the Lord is still to come. Because most of the time, the term the day of the Lord is clearly referring to a future day of judgment of God on the whole world. Go to Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. In Joel chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness there is spread upon the mountains, a great and powerful people their like has never been before, nor will be again after them through the years of all generations. Fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses they run, as with the rumblings of chariots they leap on the tops of mountains, like the crackling of a flame of fire devouring the stubble, like a powerful army drawn up for battle. Before them peoples are in anguish, all faces grow pale. Like warriors they charge, like soldiers they scale the wall. They march each on his way. They do not swerve from their paths. They do not jostle one another. Each marches in his path. They burst through the weapons and are not halted. They leap upon the city. They run upon the walls. They climb up into the houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. The earthquakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? By the way, if any of you have ever read the book of Revelation, you just had there the description of what's going to happen when they open the seal and the demons come up out of the abyss. And their appearances are like horses, and we see this here. This is a time that's coming on the whole world, folks. It's going to be a time of horrible, horrible torture. Go to Joel chapter 3, verses 9 through 16. Proclaim this among the nations. Consecrate for war. 
Stir up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I'm a warrior. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations stir themselves up and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat. By the way, that's the valley of Megiddo. We also know it as the battle of Armageddon that is yet to come. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord roars from Zion and utters His voice from Jerusalem. And the heavens and the earth quake, but the Lord is a refuge to His people a stronghold to the people of Israel. Again, do you see it? It's clearly the end of the tribulation period when everybody's gathered to fight against Jesus who's coming to Jerusalem to set up his kingdom and he's going to destroy them. This day is coming. But interestingly enough, there's another part of this day, the day of the Lord, this time period, if you will. Could you say, well, what day is it? Is it a Monday? Is it a Tuesday? No, when it talks about the day, it talks about the time period, if you will. The year of the Lord's favor. I always, people, Jesus talked in, in, in Isaiah 61, he talked about the year of the Lord's favor in that prophecy. I always jokingly say that was 1965 because that was the year I was born. That's the year of the Lord's favor. But no, the year of the Lord is the time period of the Lord's favor. We're in that time period right now, but that time period is going to come to a close. And the day of the Lord or the time period of the Lord, which is a time of judgment, is coming. He's given hints about his ability to judge a nation here and there by using like Nebuchadnezzar and others in the past. But in each of those soon coming prophecies, there was a hint to a future one that's going to come on the whole world. So that the whole world will know that he is God. And it's going to be happening in and centered around the nation of Israel and, of course, across the whole globe. But also, not only is this day of the Lord a time period, which I'm going to show you, if I believe is a seven year period, which actually, if you look at full study of the term, the day of the Lord, it even carries into the millennial kingdom, into the happy parts of the day of the Lord. But that's another study for another time. But if you look closely, there's also another reference in these terms, day of the Lord, do you find in scripture of the great and awesome day of the Lord, which I believe is the very, very end of this time period, the day of the Lord. Go to Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2, look at verses 30 and 32. Or through 32, 30 through 32. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said. And among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. So here we've seen in a lot of these prophecies about the coming day of the Lord, the fact that the sun's going to go dark and the moon's going to disappear or turn to blood and all this stuff in the smoke. But it's also that time period at the very end of the tribulation period is time called the great and awesome day of the Lord. Go to Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4, look at verses 5 and 6. In Malachi chapter 4, look at verses 5 and 6. God says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he'll turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. John the Baptist came in the spirit and the power of Elijah, but I believe the prophecy is still coming, is going to be fulfilled that Elijah himself will come. During the tribulation period as one of the two witnesses. And Jesus himself said, Elijah did come and he will come. Before the great and awesome day of the Lord. But he's going to come in the day of the Lord. But prior to the great and awesome day of the Lord. Because prior to the great and awesome day of the Lord, the end of the tribulation period. Elijah is going to be killed with the other witness, which I believe is Moses. And they're going to be taken up into heaven. Then the great and awesome day of the Lord is going to come. Interestingly enough, though, 
As I touched on earlier, a careful study of Scripture will show you that this future time of judgment, <clears throat> called the day of the Lord, if you will, closely parallels what we also call, like I've touched on earlier tonight, tri the tribulation period, or also called Daniel's 70th week from Daniel 9, 20 through 27. Or it's also called in some passages, the time of Jacob's trouble. Or another term is used, and I'm going to show you this from Scripture, is the birth pains. I'm going to show you this. The, the day of the Lord, this time of judgment that God's bringing in the whole world is called the tribulation period. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble, called Daniel's 70th week. But it's also called in many places the birth pains or the time of a woman in labor. Go back to 1 Thessalonians 5 again and look at what it says again in verse 3. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Now, some of you would say he's just using the reference to how the labor pains just kind of catch a woman by surprise and that's what's going to happen. I actually think there's more to it because of the fact of what I'm about to show you. All through the scriptures, this time period that is still to come is described as a woman in labor or the birth pains. <clears throat> Go to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24. We'll start in verse 3. In Matthew 24, starting in verse 3, it says, As he, Jesus, sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they'll lead many astray. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of, look closely, the birth pains. Not birth pains, the birth pains. Very clearly describing a specific set of pre-prophesied birth pains. We'll get to that in just a second. But keep reading. Then they'll deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophet will, prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will, will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed and throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand let them, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. Let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, don't believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, don't go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west... So will be the coming of the Son of Man, and wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he'll send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they'll gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Now, there's a lot here. We don't have time to break it all down, but let me just go take you back to verses three and following real quick. He says, look, let me tell you, show you what the beginning of the birth pains are going to look like. There's going to be false Christ. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be earthquakes and famines, pestilences. By the way, do you realize that what I'm describing to you is the opening of the seals? He opens the first seal and the Antichrist comes out, the false Christ, and then he opens the next one and there's wars and death. Then after that, there's famines and earthquakes. And at the midpoint, which he's describing here, the abomination of desolation, the Antichrist stepping into the wing of the temple. 
And then as we know from Revelation 14, verses 6 and 7, at the very end of the tribulation, there's going to be an angel that hovers in midair and proclaims the gospel to the whole world, and then the end comes, just like he says here. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world, then the end will come. And then he goes on and he says, oh, and by the way, when you see that stuff happening, when you see the Antichrist step into the wing of the temple, you guys in Judea, you better run. And pray that it doesn't happen on a Sabbath. By the way, is he talking to the church? No. He's talking to the Jews here. But Jim, what about the sending his angels to go gather his elect from all over the earth? Isn't that the rapture? No. Didn't Jesus say that he's going to come and get us? He's not sending angels for us. His angels are going to gather the ones that survive and the believers and the nations of the, of the world and the Jews from all over the globe that survive. And he'll gather them and bring them into the kingdom. But angels aren't coming to collect us. Jesus is coming to get us. We're watching for the glorious appearing of Jesus, the gathering of his bride. He is describing the tribulation period here. And at the end, the sun goes dark, the moon turns to blood, and all these things happen. Folks, let me tell you, Matthew 24 is not talking to the church here. It's talking to the Jews to get them ready for what's going on. But he says, look, don't think it's over just when you start to see the Antichrist and the wars and the famines and the earthquakes that's just the beginning of the birth pains. And I've shared with you this before. For years, when I first started preaching and understanding a little bit about prophecy, I got caught up like a lot of people do and seeing how many more earthquakes there are now than there has been and all this stuff. First off, keep in mind, as much as I believe earthquakes are increasing, where our ability to, to measure them and to, to record them is a whole lot greater now, too. Would you not agree? At the same time, I used to think about all the wars and the rumors of wars and all these things and say, oh, man, we're in the birth pains. I don't believe we're in the birth pains yet. Because I'm about to show you the birth pains is the time of Jacob's trouble. It's the time of the tribulation period. It's the time that's been prophesied as the time of a woman in labor this coming day of the Lord. Go to Isaiah 13. Look at verses 6 through 13. Isaiah 13, starting in verse 6. Wail for what? The day of the Lord is near. As destruction from the Almighty, it will come. Therefore, all hands will be feeble, and every human heart will melt. They will be dismayed. There's that they again. Pangs, pangs and agony will seize them. They will be in anguish like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at one another. Their faces will be aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation, to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising. The moon will not shed its light. I'll punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. And I'll put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. I will make people more rare than fine gold. Didn't Jesus say in Matthew 24, if he doesn't cut those days short, no one survives? And mankind, the gold of Ophir, therefore I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. Well, you know that at the very end of the tribulation period, there's going to be an earthquake across the whole globe that levels every mountain. All the islands disappear. The whole earth topography will be reworked at that time. Folks, the day of the Lord is described as a time of a woman in labor. Go to Jeremiah 30. Look at verses 4 through 7. These are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah, not the church. Thus says the Lord, we have heard a cry of panic, of terror, and no peace. Ask now and see, can a man bear a child? Why then do I see every man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor? Why has every face turned pale? Alas, that day is so great, there is none like it. It's a time of distress for who? Jacob. Who's Jacob? Israel. Yet he shall be saved out of it. Go to Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he, this one is going to be born in Bethlehem, shall give them up 
until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of the Lord, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Do you see it? This one that's going to be born in Bethlehem, which we know as we're about to celebrate and starting to celebrate the Christmas season, and we know this prophecy, it was Jesus and is Jesus. He is going to give up the people of Israel, hand them over. They've experienced the hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. He's going to give them up until when? The time when she who is in labor has given birth, has come to its full time period. Jesus said, when you start to see the Antichrist, and the wars and the rumors of wars and the famines. The end's not yet. You've still got a whole seven-year period to go on. But this is just the beginning of the birth pains, but you Jews better be paying attention. By the way, we in the church have a responsibility to share this message. That's a big reason why we've written the book, What Will Happen Next? And we're giving it away. Because I believe that God's going to use it not only for people now to come get saved during the church age, but also for those who are going to be left behind to see and believe and to know, hey, the scripture said this was going to happen. And just like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel all were told about things that they weren't going to happen in their lifetime, but they had the responsibility to pass that message on for those that follow like us. We have a responsibility to also pass this message on for those who are going to be here during this time period, even though these prophecies don't specifically pertain to us. In the same way, you need to know what the scripture says. Be ready. The day of the Lord is coming, but it's not for us to worry about when. We're to be ready and watching for Jesus. Go ahead. Yeah, Jim, so back in Matthew, mm -hmm. we talk, you know, in, in, in 24 verse 4, he goes through it, and then at the end it says, uh, verse 8, all these things are the beginning of birth pains. And then in my translation, it's, then you will be handed over to the first. He's talking to the Jews. Right? And then after that, verse 10, at that time, many mm -hmm. will turn away. So it's like it's almost a timeline happening. Oh, without question, there's a timeline. So am I reading that the wrong way, that it's like this, then this, then this? No, I think that's exactly how it's going to be, this, then this. And here's the thing, though. Keep in mind, from Daniel 9, there's going to be a confirming of the covenant with many. At some point, and we're going to, we don't have time. I don't think I have it in my notes for tonight. Yeah, actually, I do. I'll touch on it now and I'll come to it as we get there. But when the, when the Gog and Magog battle happens, Gog and Magog come down against Israel when they're living in peace and security with unwalled villages. There's going to be some kind of a peace treaty that has been ratified, the covenant, if you will, confirming of the covenant, to the point that at the beginning of this time period, because that's what starts the seven-year tribulation period, is the confirming of the covenant, the Jews actually think everybody's all, everything's okay. I mean, this, this, this uh, Messiah, if you will, has come on the scene, and he's brought peace to that area. Now, let's be honest. It'd be a pretty big deal right now if all of a sudden someone come in and have real peace in Israel, even though we know it's going to be temporary. But it'd be a pretty big deal, because right now, as the prophecy said, all the world is starting to change their mind about Israel. And they're all starting to turn against Israel, although been the, that's been there all along. There's been the spirit of the Antichrist all throughout as well. But at the same time, there have been a lot of nations that are kind of, Israel, go ahead. You can go after Hamas. We're for you. We're going to supply. But all of a sudden, there's going to be a continual, which is happening now, change of people's minds. The support of Israel is going to start to wane. But somehow, some way, and we don't know what, it could be tied to the rapture. We don't know. Think of the chaos on the globe that's going to happen when all the Christians do disappear. And people start to worry about what's going to happen to their bank accounts and all these kind of things. Somehow, some way, an individual is going to come on the scene. And he's going to make everybody be okay. And everybody's going to be all right to the point that Israel is going to live in peace, in security, with unwalled villages. We're a few days off from that, aren't we, right now? Oh, but... The Bible says all that stuff's going to happen. Well, Jim, I, I don't know when, how, again, you're starting to worry about the when and the how. It's not for us to know that. What is our responsibility right now? We're to have the Spirit come upon us through faith in Jesus Christ as He comes to indwell us, and we're to be His witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth, and we're to be watching for the same Jesus that went in the clouds to come back in the clouds to come and get us. And that's why Paul was writing to the church in Thessalonica saying, look, you have brothers and sisters who have died. They're not going to miss the glorious appearing. He's going to bring them with him when he comes and gets us. 
We're all going to be changed in a moment, twinkling in the eye. We're going to go be with him. And don't worry about the timing of the day of the Lord. You yourselves know it's not for you to worry about. It's going to be a day that comes upon them. They're going to be shocked. They're going to be caught by surprise. But that's not you. That's not for us. Go to 1 Thessalonians 5 again, verses 1 through 3. I was just quoting it, but let me read it to you again now with all this. Maybe this will read a little bit more clearly. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Just like during Israel's previous times of judgment, there's going to be false prophets, right? How could anyone, believing or unbelieving at this time, that the judgment's going to be coming, be saying peace and safety? We've already touched on a little bit. First, God's going to send a strong delusion. And there's also going to be some kind of an agreement amongst the world from this one world government. Again, I don't have time to break this all down. It's in my book. And if you want to get it, it'll help you with that. But listen closely. The Bible talks about the fact that there's going to be one more one world kingdom. It's going to be a rebuilding of the Roman Empire. It's going to be made up of ten nations. And we don't know who those ten nations are, but they're going to be made up of ten nations. And then from within uh, those ten is going to come another one. And he's going to remove three of those kings. And that one is actually going to become the leader of all of that. And he's going to confirm a covenant with all the nations. And somehow at some point there's going to be this peace treaty. And people are all going to be thinking everything's okay. And that's when the day of the Lord is going to come and catch them by surprise. When everybody's saying, everything's all right. We finally got all those Christians out of here. Whatever they're saying, I don't know. And I'm not going to worry about how it happens. But we know that we're not to be worrying about the timing of it and how it's all going to be. We're to be worrying about the responsibility he's given us now, which is to what? Share the message of salvation through faith alone in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> but just like... During Israel's previous times of judgment, there's going to be false prophets and false teachers saying that things will get better and the world peace is possible. Go with me to Jeremiah 6. People say, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and I do. But you know what the peace of Jerusalem is? Jesus' return. I'm not paying, praying for Israel to be at peace without Jesus. Because the Bible said that's just going to be a false peace. It's going to be the Antichrist peace, and it's not real peace. It's temporary. It's like praying for someone to get better but not be saved. What good's getting better if you're going to go to hell? You understand? In the same way, what good's temporary peace if it doesn't last? When we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, we're praying for Jesus to come back. That's when there's going to be world peace and lasting. Re Jeremiah 6, look at verses 10 through 15. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ears are uncircumcised. They cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord is to them like an object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. Therefore, I'm full of the wrath of the Lord. I am weary of holding it in. Pour it out upon the children in the street and upon the gatherings of young men also. Both husband and wife shall be taken, the elderly and very aged. Their households shall be turned over to others, their fields and wives together, for I will stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of the land, declares the Lord, from the least to the greatest of them. Everyone is greedy for unjust gain, and from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they're not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush, therefore they shall fall among those who fall. At that time I'll punish them they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. In the midst of the judgment that was being told by God through Jeremiah about the Babylonians coming and taking them off into captivity, as Jeremiah was saying, look, a judgment is coming, their prophets were also false prophets saying, no, everything's fine. We're actually getting, the world's getting better. Uh, there's going to be a continuing increase of righteousness on the earth and things are just going to get gooder and gooder and we're going to be all right. And folks, don't fall for it. If we would just all get together and just love each other, 
Love is all we need and everything will be okay. Listen, don't fall prey to the false prophets of this day. We are to be loving and how we're loving is we tell people what the word of God says. A judgment is coming on the earth. And there will be those who are in right relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ who will be spared it. And those who aren't will be dealt with severely. And listen closely. I love you enough to tell you the truth. If I'm not willing to tell you the truth, I really love myself more than I love you because I'd rather you like me. You may not like me if I tell you the truth, but I love you enough to have you hate me because I'm telling you the truth. There's only one way for you to be made right, and that's through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And when you trust him as your savior, he comes to indwell you and seals you with his spirit. And he has a plan and a purpose for your life and a role for you. And it may even be bumpy on this earth, but he has an eternity for those who will trust him. That is a reward that we're all living for. We're not living for here. Beware of those preachers who are trying to make the world a better place. Jesus didn't send us down here to make people good people. He sent us down here or saved us, came down and saved us so that we would be here on this earth to tell people about the coming judgment, that we'd be spared the wrath to come. Now, should we have an effect on the earth in salt and light? Yes, the salt and light shows truth and slows the decay, but it doesn't make the world a better place. If we are making the world a better place, the Bible's not true when it said it's going to get worse and worse and worse. Until the point when God said the wickedness has reached its full measure and my judgment is coming. Do you understand? Beware of the false prophets like in Jeremiah's day who were saying, no, no, don't listen to Jeremiah. Everything's going to be fine. Go to Jeremiah 14. Look at verses 13 through 16. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, the prophets say to them, you shall not see the sword, nor shall you have famine. But I'll give you assured peace in this place. And the Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision. The worthless divination and the deceit of their own minds. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name, although I did not send them, and who say sword and famine shall not come upon this land. By sword and famine, those prophets shall be consumed. And the people to whom they prophesy shall be cast out into the streets of Jerusalem, victims of famine and sword, with none to bury them, and their, them, their wives and their sons and their daughters, for I will pour out their evil upon them. Again, just like there was in the time of the early prophets, people were saying, it's not going to be this bad, this, it's actually going to be okay. Things are a little bumpy now, but things are going to be okay. We're going to get the right people in office and everything's going to be fine. Mm -mm. Folks, there is a judgment coming on the earth. And the time is at hand for Jesus to come and get his church. And then is the day of the Lord. Oh, and it's going to start off where people are feeling like things are going to be all right. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, things are going to start to amp up. Wars. Even though there was a peace treaty. Rumors of wars. Famines. Earthquakes. And then all of a sudden, that Antichrist, who everybody thought was the savior of the world, He's going to step into the wing of the temple and declare himself to be God. By the way, do you think what kind of a peace is the world going to be in with Israel going to have a temple again? Don't even worry about where on, in, on the land it'll be built, but even if it's built anywhere near the temple mount, think of how much peace there's going to be already in agreement of the world, and everybody's going to say, all those Christians are wrong. Mm -mm. The Bible's true in every word of it. And again, don't forget, the Antichrist will have come on the scene with flattery and confirmed a covenant with Israel and the many so that Israel is living without walls. Go to Ezekiel 38. Look at verses 1 through 16. <clears throat> the word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Set your face toward Gog, the land of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and I'll turn you about and put hooks into your jaws, and I'll bring you out and all your army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed in full armor, a great host, all of them with buckler and shield, wielding swords, Persia, Cush, and put or with them, 
all of them with shields and helmet, Gomer and all his hordes, Beth Tagarma from the uttermost parts of the north with all his hordes. Many peoples are with you. Be ready and keep ready, you and all your hosts that are assembled about you, and be a guard for them. After many days you'll be mustered. In the latter years you will go against the land that is restored from war, the land whose people were gathered from many peoples upon the mountains of Israel, which had been a continual waste. Its people were brought out from the peoples and now dwell securely, all of them. You'll advance, coming on like a storm. You'll be like a cloud covering the land, you and all your hordes and many peoples with you. Thus says the Lord God, on that day thoughts will come into your mind and you will devise an evil scheme and say, I'll go up against the land of unwalled villages and I will fall upon the quiet people who dwell securely, all of them dwelling without walls and having no bars or gates, to seize spoil and carry off plunder, to turn your hand against the waste places that are now inhabited and the people who were gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods and who dwell at the center of the earth. Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish and all its leaders will say to you, have you come to seize spoil? Have you, come, have you assembled your host to carry off plunder, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods and to see, seize great spoil? Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog, thus says the Lord God, on that day when my people Israel are dwelling securely, will you not know it? You will come out from your place out of the uttermost parts of the north, you and many peoples with you, and all of them riding on horses, a great host, a mighty army. You'll come up against my people Israel like a cloud covering the land. In the latter days, I'll bring you against my land that the nations may know me. When through you, O Gog, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Interesting. The prophecy of Gog and Magog and the battle that's going to come in the very end in the latter days. God says, I'm going to bring you down from the north and I'm going to have all these other nations with you. By the way, Iran's listed in there and Turkey and all that. And they're going to be all gathering together to come down to fight against Israel when Israel is living at peace and dwelling in security. And God says, I'm actually going to be doing this because I'm going to do something as I bring you all against Israel at that time to display my glory to the people of Israel and to the whole world. Now, we don't have time to keep reading, but if you read the rest of chapter 38 and into chapter 39, you'll see that God will show up as they come to attack, and he will defeat them himself in such a way that every nation on the earth believes that there's God, only one God. And Israel worships the Lord from that day forth forevermore. And I don't have time to take you there, but if you were to read Ezekiel 39, starting in verse 17, to the end of the chapter, you will notice that the bird feast that is predicted there is almost word for word the bird feast that you see in Revelation 19 when Jesus comes back to set up his kingdom on the earth and he comes and defeats the armies that are all gathered against Israel. The bird feast is identical. And it says from that point forward, Israel worships the Lord. A lot of prophecy people that I know and love and respect actually all think the Gog and Magog battle is going to happen prior to the tribulation period. I don't believe it will. I believe the Gog and Magog battle starts around the midpoint of the tribulation period and culminates in the battle of Armageddon. And it par they parallel so much that at the end of that, every nation on the earth knows that there's only one God. And Israel worships him from that day forward forevermore. If that was the case, that the Gog and Magog battle happened prior to the tribulation period, Jews wouldn't be signing a covenant with the Antichrist because they're worshipers of God. Oh, and what did Jesus say in Matthew 24, speaking to the Jews? And he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Jeremiah tells us that at the end of the tribulation period, this time of Jacob's trouble, this Daniel's 70th week, at the end of that time period, every Jew that survives will believe in the Lord to the point you won't even need any preachers saying, know the Lord. Every Jew will know the Lord at that time. Oh, what does Paul say in Romans chapter 11? Go to Romans chapter 11, verse 25, and we'll close with this. <clears throat> he's talking about the fact all through Romans 11 that he's not done with the nation of Israel. But the church age has got to finish first. And then in verse 25, Romans chapter 11, lest you be wise in your own sight, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He'll banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now, as regards the gospel, they're enemies right now for your sake. But as regards election, they're beloved for the sake of their forefathers. 
For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as it, it, as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient. In order by mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Folks, we're in a different time period right now than what he's going to be doing in that time period where he's going to be dealing with Israel. It's a time of distress for Jacob, yet he will be saved through it. We're in that time period where he said, it's not for us to know the times or the seasons. That's another thing that's still coming. And if you look at the prophecies and all the things that are still yet to be, if we're honest, there's still a few years left before some of this can fully be culminated. The peace and the security, the temple being rebuilt, all these different things. Well, Jim... Is the rapture of the church what starts the tribulation period? And so we still got to wait. Hey, no, no, no. The rapture of the church is not what starts the tribulation period, folks. I don't care what your charts say. What starts the tribulation period is the confirming of the covenant. The rapture could have happened a year, 10 years, 40 years. We don't know. What's next on the agenda for the church besides obedience, holy living? Watching for the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. And whether we go we with him before that day, he's still going to bring us with him on that day. And we're to be encouraging each other with these words. Is the day of the Lord coming? Yes. Is it going to be a time of wrath and judgment? Without question. Do you want to be on the earth at that time? I hope you don't. Hope you're not. But don't worry about trying to figure out the timing of it all. Let the truth of the prophecies encourage you. And we'll get to that next week when we come back and finish our study here in verses 1 through 11. We're not of the darkness. We're of the day. So we should be living differently at this time. I love you. We'll see you next week.